This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The intention has always been to cripple the economy, the Zimbabwean economy. And it's not fortuitous that they've picked on uh, suppliers of key inputs to a, a, a critical sector of our economy, namely agriculture. That's George Charamba, the spokesman for Zimbabwe's presidency on the U.S., adding the president's son and three others to its sanctions list. Details coming up. Also, a Nigerian has won the African Digital Innovation Competition. Ghana has reached a $3 billion credit deal with the IMF. And Morocco prepares for its World Cup semifinals match against defending champion France. We have these stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. A key topic at the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit this week in Washington will be U.S. investment and trade. Some analysts on U.S.-Africa relationships see the summit as targeted in part at countering China's presence on the continent, although U.S. officials have said repeatedly that is not a goal. Over the past few decades, China has expanded its investment and lending in Africa, particularly in infrastructure projects. John Makumambuku. Professor of Economics at Weber State University and a non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institute says there can be a downside to some of China's projects in Africa. He tells me that many deals that China's government and businesses have made are not transparent, which he says is dangerous. Okay, if you consider Chinese investment in Africa, one of the things you see at face value is that this is really good because the Chinese are helping African countries build what appears to be uh, excellent infrastructure, especially roads and airports and uh, seaports and other types of infrastructure. So from the surface, it appears it's a fantastic opportunity. And this is what the the African leaders are selling to the citizens, that this is an, a development opportunity. And it's very enticing on the part of African leaders because many of them want to leave a legacy. While they're in government, they're saying, okay, how will I be remembered? And so infrastructure would be one way to leave a legacy. But at what cost? Yes, what is not so clear is that many of these countries, or rather many of these political branches, are not being honest to their citizens and telling them exactly what the terms of the Chinese loans, the terms of the contract that they are signing with Chinese state agencies, state companies are. And so once those uh, terms are revealed, it begins to appear, and in reality, it shows that the cost to the African uh, countries is extremely too high, especially to future generations, because these countries are leaving behind, or rather these leaders are leaving behind the kind of debt that future generations would not be able to pay back. And in addition to that, they're mortgaging natural resources that ought to be used to develop the countries to the Chinese, because these loans based on either natural resources or they are based on uh, what you might refer to as draconian loan terms that these countries simply cannot uh, meet. 
at this uh, U.S. Africa Leaders Summit that's going on. The, the message to African leaders is you have been working with China for so long now. Try America. If the, if the African countries are going to benefit from the U.S. or from a U.S.-Africa relationship, African countries, from, uh, especially Africans themselves, have to define the nature of that relationship. There has to be a lot of transparency. I, I think that uh, we have to be very careful to understand that Chinese involvement in Africa is not uh, bad per se. The reason it turns out to be the way it is is because of lack of transparency. So if the U.S. is going to engage with Africans, Africans have to understand that the American government is not a missionary society that is coming to Africa to provide them something for free. The U.S. interest in Africa also uh, is, is similar to Chinese interest in Africa. If the Africans are going to benefit, they have to define the nature of the relationship. And in doing so, they should not allow only the leaders to do that defining. The, the, the defining of that relationship should involve all citizens of each country so that there is a level of transparency that allows people to accept or reject any type of relationship that they feel is not mutually beneficial. This is the key. That was John Makum Mbaku, professor of economics at Weber State University and non-resident fellow at the Brookings Institute. He spoke with me from the U.S. state of Utah. In October, VOA profiled the 10 finalists in the 202 African Digital Innovation Competition sponsored by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other partners. The competition, which attracted more than 1,700 applications from entrepreneurs across the continent, aims to support tech-based projects that will improve life for Africans. Last night at the U.S. State Department's Gala Innovators Gathering, the winner was announced, Imodoye Abiyoro of Health Botics in Nigeria, which works to quickly deliver medicines and medical supplies to hospitals in underserved areas of Nigeria. The innovators gathering the night before the opening of the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit was a high-level celebration of Africa's entrepreneurs and technology creators. Nigerian-American comedian Yvonne Orji served as the master of ceremonies and spoke about the opportunities to be found on the continent. And we are seeing an emergence of hometown African businesses, particularly in the tech sector, and these companies are the drivers of growth in Africa. It, it makes me proud as a Nigerian American in America to see all of the young people, all of the innovation. Former U.S. President Barack Obama spoke to the gathering via video link. He spoke of how increasingly American companies are partnering with companies in African nations. Over the last five years, U.S. investors have closed more than 500 deals in Africa, totaling about $30 billion. They've done it because they believe in Africa's boundless human capacity. And it's especially impressive when you consider that American investment in Africa startups was a fraction of what it is today just a few years ago. If all of us are our game, this will only be the beginning. That's why the U.S. government is partnering with businesses and investors to connect people and industries in the U.S. and Africa. 
U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said it was fitting that last night's event was kicking off the U.S.-Africa summit, which will include discussions on expanding U.S. partnerships on the continent. Blinken spoke about his meetings with African entrepreneurs during his travel to the continent. These entrepreneurs are not just running successful businesses. They're actually solving some of our most vexing problems, like closing enduring gaps in healthcare, helping entrepreneurs break into the formal economy. We have a new stake in the success of African innovators. Because when they are empowered to use their full potential, it's good for the region, it's good for the continent, it's good for the world, it's good for America. On Thursday, the founder of the winning company in the Digital Innovation Competition will be a guest on VOA's Africa 54 television news program. You'll be able to find the interview on all our coverage of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit on voaafrica.com. And, of course, we'll have more coverage this week right here on Africa News Tonight. Ghana has reached a $3 billion credit deal with the International Monetary Fund in an effort to restore economic stability and manage debt. The French news agency AFP says the country faces an inflation rate of 40% while debt payments to creditors consume up to half of all government revenues. A 50% slide in the value of the CD against the dollar has increased debt by $6 billion. An IMF management and executive board is expected to approve the deal by early next year. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Zimbabwe's government has reached, uh, has reacted to the addition of President Emerson Manangagwa's son on a U.S. sanctions list together with others for alleged corruption and human rights abuses. Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare, where the Southern African nation's government says the sanctions are hurting the country economy, but the U.S. says corruption and wrong priorities are what's really killing it. In a statement, the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control said it added four Zimbabwean nationals and two Zimbabwean companies to the sanctions list. One of the individuals is Emerson Munangagwa Jr., the son of the Zimbabwean president. Another 17 individuals were removed from the list. The additions include two companies, Fossil Agro and Fossil Contracting, which the U.S. says were involved in OPEC multi-million dollar deals with the Zimbabwe's government. George Charamba, the spokesman for Zimbabwe's presidents, says he was not surprised by the latest U.S. designations. 
the intention was never to attack individuals who don't matter anyway in terms of uh, interstate relations. The intention has always been to cripple the economy, the Zimbabwean economy. And it's not fortuitous that they've picked on uh, suppliers of key inputs to a, a, a critical sector of our economy, namely agriculture. Mm-hmm. They did it uh, before, they are doing it now, and I can assure you they'll do it in future. Charamba says the U.S. is pushing for a compliant Zimbabwe, while Zimbabwe insists on an independent national policy which is not influenced by foreigners. Gift Mugano, an economics professor at Durban University of Technology, says the sanctions are making it difficult for Zimbabwe to attract investors and to get capital for essential projects such as when you are under sanction, you must be more careful and more prudent when you are using your resources. The case in point is the 35 million US dollars which is being uh, given to members of parliament and ministers uh, under the new scheme, which is called the loans, uh, the package which they've been given. But we don't have uh, basics in the hospitals. 35 million dollars for Zimbabwe can be a game changer. Not everyone agrees Zimbabwe is hurting its own economy. Gibson Nikazino, an independent analyst, says the sanctions are having a real impact on the economy. Because there is failure to access foreign capital markets, there is failure even to import critical uh, equipment. So the whole idea of sanctions, it is to ensure that the economy of Zimbabwe is to scream, and that is the first essence on which why the West imposed the sanctions, and even today the economy is being hit. U.S., British, and European Union officials have long rejected those accusations saying that the sanctions target individuals and certain companies rather than state institutions. Recently, James O'Brien, the U.S. State Department sanctions coordinator, said the U.S. sanctions are not hurting Zimbabwe's economy as they do not affect banks. A much larger problem, he said, is the tax revenue lost from billions of dollars in black market cross-border transactions that take place each year. P.S. Bigo is a senior consultant for Southern African Human Rights Watchdog International Crisis Group. There is no doubt that sanctions have an impact on aspects of the economy, in some instances directly as it relates to the individual entities and individuals that are on the list. What's difficult is to calculate the extent of that impact, particularly in a context where there are multiple other factors relating to financial delinquency and malfeasance and poor governance. Zimbabwe held an anti-sanctions day on October 25, asking regional bloc SADC and the African Union to support it in calling for removal of the sanctions, which were imposed in early 2000s, following alleged election rigging and human rights abuses. Zimbabwe's government says it is being punished for its land reform program under the late President Robert Mugabe, in which white commercial farmers were pushed off their properties. Columbus Mavungam, for VOA News, Arare, Zimbabwe.
Amnesty International says Spain and Morocco have failed to properly investigate the June deaths of scores of migrants in the Spanish enclave of Melala in northwest Africa. Reuters quoted the human rights group as saying the response by authorities smacks of a cover-up and racism. The deaths occurred when about 2,000 migrants armed with clubs and other weapons tried to force their way through a fence from the Moroccan side of the border. Moroccan police responded by beating the men with batons. Amnesty says 37 died and 77 are missing. Spain's interior minister calls its response appropriate and notes props are continuing into the incident. Guinea's former coup leader, Musa Dadis Kamara, testified for the first time yesterday about his role in a stadium massacre by the military 13 years ago in which at least 157 people were killed and dozens of women raped. Kamara pleaded his innocence, saying he was sleeping during the early hours of the attack, awoken at 11 a.m. when he was told that demonstrators had been killed. Kamara is among 11 men charged in the stadium attack on September 28, 2009, in which security forces fired at unarmed demonstrators protesting the then-coup leader's plans to run for president of the West African nation. Kamara had seized power in a coup one year earlier. The trial is expected to last at least until the end of the month. And now time for World Cup update with the host of VOA's sunny side of sports, Sunny Young. Welcome to African News Tonight, Sunny. Sporty World Cup greetings. Yeah, hey, it's great to be back on African News Tonight. So the Qatar semifinals are upon us with Argentina, Croatia, France, and Morocco, the only teams left standing. Yeah, Yeheus, uh, we're less than 40 minutes away uh, from the kickoff of the Argentina-Croatia semifinal. Uh, I'm predicting a very tight match. Uh, These teams met four years ago uh, during the group stage of the 2018 World Cup. Uh, And I think I mentioned Croatia won that match 3-0. I do expect a tighter match this evening. And one interesting note, Yeheus, about uh, the the four semifinalists who remain uh, in contention for the trophy, uh, Croatia and Morocco actually met in the group stage, and they played a scoreless draw uh, against each other. So it would it would really be interesting uh, should Morocco somehow upset France on. Uh, on Wednesday evening, and Croatia prevails this evening, that they would kind of have a rematch in the final. But uh, that's still to be determined. Uh, this uh, this Croatia match, Croatia-Argentina, as I said, I, I think it's going to be a, a very tight match. And uh, the Croatian uh, manager, uh, he has he has referred to the Moroccans and their their magical run to the to the final four, and he, you know, I, I think he realizes that these are these are two uh, small countries, uh, so to speak, when you compare them to powerhouses like uh, Brazil and Argentina and some of these traditional uh, football powerhouses. So, uh, yeah, I think Croatia and Morocco uh, 
will probably have uh, the the underdog spirit with them this evening. Lionel uh, Messi versus uh, Josco, right? It's it's going to be a, a battle for the ages here. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, Messi, he's had a good World Cup. Yehias, uh, he has scored four goals so far in Qatar. And uh, as we've talked about, uh, he would like nothing better uh, than to lift that World Cup trophy. He'll be uh, taking on a Croatian team. Uh, their midfield, midfield, uh, sort of their midfield maestro is uh, Luka Modric. Uh, uh, like Messi, uh, four years ago, Modric was, uh, won the Golden Ball Award as, uh, as the best player at the 2018 World Cup. Uh, Messi, of course, has won multiple uh, multiple Ballon d'Or uh, uh, trophies. So, yeah, I think you've got two great players going against each other uh, this evening in Modric and, and Messi. Uh, I, I would have to give the edge to Messi. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think this Croatian team, like Morocco, Yehaeus, just a very gritty, scrappy uh, tough team to break down. They're, they're, they keep their defensive posture. Uh, very smart team. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm predicting a tight match against, uh, against Argentina. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned, the Croatians know they can win. They, they beat Argentina uh, four years ago. And that was one of the things that stood out for me in, that ma- in their last match, Yehaeus, against Brazil. Uh, that they won on penalties. The Croatians were not intimidated at all by the Brazilians uh, who who entered the match as the favorites. I think they'll take that same mentality uh, into the semifinal this evening against uh, against Argentina. Uh, one one quick note about the referees, Yehaeus. Uh, this this is a historic World Cup in that we have. Uh, three female referees uh, who have been officiating matches at the World Cup, in, including uh, one from Rwanda, Salima Mukansanga. Uh, I would like to point out the referees for the semifinals. Uh, the the uh, referee for the Argentina-Croatia semifinal is Daniel Orsato. He's from Italy. And the referee for Wednesday evening semifinal between France and Morocco is Cesar Arturo Ramos from Mexico. Uh, so those are the referees who will be blowing their whistles, and hopefully we'll see some clean contests, Yehaeus, that these will be uh, beautiful, beautiful football matches yeah. with, with not a lot of stoppages in play. <laughs> and, and Sonny, there's a lot of firsts here, uh, like the state of Qatar. Um, this World Cup, the first to be held in an Arab country. That's another first. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and getting back to the Moroccans, uh, Yehaeus, uh, kind of playing, you know, in a way, kind of playing on their home turf in, in Qatar. They have They have received wonderful support from their fans uh, who have traveled to Qatar to back the Atlas Lions. And and, in fact, I think they might have more fans uh, in in terms of support, Yehaz, than than the other semifinalists, than Argentina, 
uh, Croatia, and, and France. I think Morocco might have the biggest support. And, and I think in some way that play, playing uh, in an Arabic-speaking country, uh, I think it's helped Morocco, Yehaz. I think it's, it's, help, it's helped them feel more comfortable, more at home, and, and they have just played exceptionally well. Okay, first things first, Argentina and Croatia in about half an hour. Thank you for your input, Sonny. Thank you, Yehaz. Always good to be on African News tonight. Thank you to have you with us. And that wraps up this edition of African News tonight. I'm Yehaz Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Bob Bass, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.